Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Pekovic, and this is episode number 265. Award season is now upon us, which means Talking Oscars is back to cover all things Oscars and award season related this 2019-2020 award season. And joining me now is film critic, movie analyst, and Talking Oscars co-host Shane A. Bassett. Shane, I thank you very much for joining me once again on the podcast. Well, thank you very much, Matt. As I always say, it's a pleasure to be here, and um, I love talking movies with you, and especially this time of year where the Oscars and awards season is heating up. But um, for our listeners and people who follow your uh, social media, I would like to just ask you personally, I believe you're retiring from doing a little bit of film criticism and um, i'm just wondering why if you could explain that to not just me because uh listeners don't know but this is the first time we've spoken for a few weeks but to everyone out there who is a big fan of you your matt's movies reviews has been a huge hit over the years and building and building so let me know what the decision is well a lot of it comes down to two things time and money and i think those are two really important things that a person like myself, a father and a husband faces. Uh, you got to understand the situation that I'm in on my end. Um, I don't know if a lot of people haven't noticed lately, but my output over the last several months has been lacking, to say the least. I try to do as much as I can, and it really... It is hard work. It is It is hard work. You know, you know, Shane, we go out there, we watch the films, we do, you know, the podcasts, you yourself do a lot of radio as well. We write, you know, reviews. Writing reviews isn't something that you can just do with, with in, in like within 15, 20 minutes. It's 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 a it's a process, you know. Like in, I know for yourself and in myself as well, we'd like to research our stuff. It, there's a lot of things that go with it, and I just yeah. found that I'm not putting in all the effort that I can in it. I think the you know the films that I watch deserve and that my audience deserve as well and it just kind of feels more of a burden than a joy um, it's not to say that I don't love movies anymore but the process of you know in the grind of the whole thing has just really taken its toll on me um, I'm a father of two boys and one of the boys that I have has autism um, with that comes really extra work as well um, yeah. there's a lot of uh, psycho- um, psychologist appointments OT you know, school things as well. On top of that, I'm working a full-time job as well. I've got another son that my wife and I are raising as well. It's just, there's a lot of things there. So, you know, it came to a point really that if I'm not really getting the financial gain from doing this, that we can really help out my family. And I'm feeling very stressed for not getting the reviews out in the timely manner that I want to, that I'm not doing all the podcasts I need to do. If it's come to the point where I don't want to wake up at four o'clock in the morning anymore to talk to directors from the States or from the UK (laughs) or staying up till two o'clock in the morning writing reviews because I need to be up in four hours because I know my kids have to get ready for school. Just all of that stuff has just really come to a head. So I made a decision quite maybe not that long ago that if I do find myself at work and I am working still within the sphere of entertainment, the sphere of writing to some certain extent, which 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 is pretty good. I think it's very hard to find work in that capacity um, these days, especially. Um, I made a promise to myself that if I do find a job like that and if that job can, fl- can turn into a career, then I will wind down, if not at all, completely stop um, all the external stuff. Um, and that involves Matt's movie reviews. And like it's, it's not that... 
I want to, but it's just the fact that I need to. I think I, you know, when you hit a certain point, um, I'm almost 40 years old. I need to start thinking about things other than movie reviews and movie podcasts, etc. I need to start thinking, you know, in terms of what can I achieve as a father and a husband. Um, and that means, you know, putting bread on the table. And that means making sure that I have a job you know, where, you know, I can, where I can, you know, take care of, uh, you know, things financially. Um, and, you know, just doing it this way, uh, you know, as, as a movie critic, is just not feasible anymore. We're living in a time now where everyone's a critic. Um, so, yep. yeah, it just... Uh, it's just not, not working out for me. So I, I just decided that this year uh, would be my last. Well, actually, not this year. I'm going to follow through till February. So when the um, uh, Oscar season uh, ends, when awards seasons end, that is when I will um, move away uh, from writing uh, uh, reviews and, and podcasts and such. I'll work on the website. I'll do some editing stuff. I know because I want to leave that as kind of like a legacy of the thirteen years um, that I have um, put into, uh, you know, writing and, and interviewing people and such. So, so yeah, it's just it's just it's time to move on. Like I think everyone knows uh, when that time's going to come along. I know some people have reached out to me that do um, do work as uh, as journalists or podcasters, etc., in other fields, and they're in the same kind of ball where it's like. You know, you need to be able to put out content and on a really consistent manner, especially these days with so much information online, and we just, yeah. I, I, I just can't keep up with it. You know, I, I can't, I can't do it anymore. And and it came to the point where either I can really kick myself and feel really down because of it, or I can move away and just try to lighten the load a bit and concentrate on some other things. So that's that's where I'm at right now. So from this point up to after the Oscars, I mean, the plan is that, and I don't know if I'm going to get there, like, have it, have the bow at the end of, of my, you know, film critic career, the, plan, the way that I want to, but the plan is that the podcast that we do post-Oscars is going to be the last thing I do. I mean, that's, that's yeah. going to be the finale right there. Um, so, from this point on, I'm just going to try to write all the reviews I haven't written yet, watch the movies still to come out, follow the Oscars, do this podcast, and to try to interview a few more people and directors that are really, you know, I've got a bucket list of people, so I want to try to get get that done. Um, but by, by the time Oscars finish, um, that will be adios from me. So that's pretty much the reason why I'm stepping away. Well, no, I understand that. And, and if... It is like the post-Oscars uh, one-off um, celebration and finalise the Matt's movie reviews after the Oscars and we do our summaries. I'm, I, you're a colleague and a friend. You have been for a very long time now. I love doing this. And if this is the last talking Oscars, you know, segments that we're doing and series, that's great. And I'm privileged because you're continuing with this. You don't have to. But you are, and I totally get why you're moving on. I, as a film critic and journalist, am lucky enough to do what I love and get paid for it. But also, you know, I do PR on the side and, and extra things. So I totally get how things change in the journalist world. And when it comes to movies, you're right. Everyone's got an opinion. Yeah. Seriously, I don't listen to all of it, but yeah, you're right. People might not agree with me, but I love talking to you, Matt, and let's keep this going because, you know, it's it's great. And 
I, I totally think that you've got a challenge ahead of you, but until then and, and in between, let's just keep going and, and keeping our uh, listeners happy, I guess, and, and people who really do like your your work over the years and something to look forward to, at least for a couple more months. Yeah, well, I really do look forward to the next couple of months because I'm trying to, uh, you know, just trying to be as consistent as I can. But like I said, it's a struggle. Some days I'm going to have a review up, some days I'm not, but I'm going to try my best to. Um, so on that note, let's continue on with episode number 265. And as usual, let's talk about what films we've watched since we last saw each other. How about, Shane, you go first and talk about what films you've watched at the cinemas. All right, I'm going to go real quick and just give you a little point on maybe each one of them because uh, there's been so many. The Lady and the Tramp, live-action version on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> it's good, but not what I expected, but I still really enjoyed it. Knives Out, loved every minute of it. I really want to see it again. Frozen 2, you know, I was expecting not a huge anticipating uh, feeling after this movie, but I got it. I really liked Frozen 2. Seaberg. Now, Kristen Stewart plays Jean Seberg, uh, a wonderful actress um, who made her name basically in France in the 60s. It's kind of a biography of her. Um, great film. Must see. And I think Kristen Stewart is a bit of a dark horse for a, a Best Actress nomination. Mm-hmm. Charlie's Angels. Yeah, it is what it is. I saw a horror movie called Countdown, which kind of reminded me of a Final Destination um, app version if that makes sense without giving it away and i didn't mind it i saw the once upon a time in hollywood extended edition which was about i don't know 10 minutes 12 minutes longer um it had scenes at the beginning and right at the end so nothing too much in between but if you are keen and you get a chance to see it uh stick around after the end credits because there is an extended scene after that uh I'm not sure if I talked about this last time we spoke, but last Christmas I saw, which I liked. A lot of people haven't. Um, I didn't mind it. I I love Christmas movies and also George Michael music. So that combination got me. The Gentleman, which is a new Guy Ritchie movie. I'm not allowed to comment on that. It is out in January. I saw that. Uh, Fisherman's Friends. Now, very low-key British comedy, which I didn't mind. But within two weeks, it's almost disappeared out of cinemas. So you might have to catch this one on uh, DVD or streaming. It's about a, uh, a group of fishermen in Cornwall in England who are actually sopranos and singers and a, they get a record contract. So kind of like full Monty-style comedy there. They don't take their clothes off, though. They sing, and it's quite amusing. Um, I saw a really bad Australian horror movie called Two Head Creek. Now, apparently David Stratton, who I do admire as a film critic, really liked it. But it is one of the worst movies, not only one of the worst movies of 2019, but one of the worst Australian films I have ever seen. I'm sorry about that, but it is. Is that the one where uh, it's two British um, uh, backpackers in an outback town kind of thing? Yeah, I saw the trailer for that. It didn't really look uh, appealing to me. Yeah. Yeah, two British backpackers come to a, a remote Australian town because uh, they're, they're something to do with their mother and, oh, my goodness. It is it is like Welcome to Whoop Whoop, but, and I don't like the castle, but it's like the castle and Welcome to Whoop Whoop joined together. It is 
atrocious. Anyway, um, and the last one I'll mention is Official Secrets, which is a Kira Knightley, Ray Fiennes drama, spy, thriller kind of uh, thing, which very low-key, if you like movies that have uh, a lot of dialogue but a mystery to it, I thought it was okay. Okay, and that's kind of based on um, the Iraq wall and intelligence surrounding that stuff, is that right? Yeah, there's a lot of secret intelligence, CIA, um, NSA kind of uh, secrets that are unveiled here and, and one little email that sort of produces a whole lot of trouble for a lot of people. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for sharing that. Um, I've seen a bunch of things as well. A few I'm going to touch on. Number one, Knives Out, uh, as you said. It's terrific. I really love that film. Ryan Johnson, I think, is just really one of the most uh, creative and innovative uh, writer-directors we have out there right now. And he did really great stuff with that movie. I mean, such a packed cast. Um, oh, a I galaxy mean, of stars, and it kept you guessing. It was so good. So good, and Daniel Craig was fantastic. And I think he's really showing his um, comedic chops with that. And I think Logan Lucky that came out a few years ago was really good in that movie as well. Uh, puts on a very thick... Uh, southern accent. I think one character referenced him as um, CSI meets KFC, um, <laughs> which is a great line. Um, yeah, so murder mystery type, like almost like a Eva Christie style whodunit movie, but um, a bit of a twist to the whole that whole kind of genre there, and that was fantastic. So I was a big fan of that movie. Um, another film I got to see was called is Little Monsters. This is an Australian film, a zombie Australian horror comedy, uh, directed and written by Abe. Forsyth, um, starring um, Andrew England, but also has um, American actors Lupita Nyong'o and Josh Gad in it as well. And pretty much the premise of it is that there is a kindergarten class on excursion at a local zoo, uh, but then um, all of a sudden a zombie uprising happens. So they get holed up in a little kind of uh, canteen at the zoo place and have to hold off the zombies and save the day. Uh, sounds silly. It is silly, but it's very uh, funny, uh, very gory. Um, R-rated all the way. Um, Lupita Nyong'o is fantastic in the movie. Josh Gad has some great one-liners. He's fantastic too. Um, Abe Forsyth, who, by the way, was just announced a long ago that he will take over directing duties for the upcoming Ro um, Robocop remake. Um, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think it was supposed to be... Um, oh, what was that? Neil Bloomkamp, who did um, uh, District 9. He originally was attached to that but he moved away and now Ape Forsyth has got that uh, in the bag so that's really cool great to hear more Aussie filmmakers out they there they did make um, Robocop a couple of years ago yes. with Gary Oldman and yeah. Samuel Jackson that was with Joel Kinnaman in the lead role that was that's more right. kind of like a PG kind of like superhero movie version of this I think this Ape Forsyth one is going to go back to the series grisly kind of like R-rated roots very kind of exploitative gory stuff there and, okay. uh, and it's something that suits him really well because um, the stuff that he's done so far with um, uh, Down Under and um, uh, Little Monsters as well really shows a, a um, director who's kind of fearless in his approach to subject and also his approach to taboo um, taboo themes and in the way that he presents them on the screen so that was uh, really good. Um, a movie that I saw very recently is called Kairos. Um, and that's an Aussie film as well. 
directed and written by Paul Barakat. Um, mostly cast of Down Syndrome, uh, people suffer, suffering from Down Syndrome. And it's pretty much about a, uh, a young man with Down Syndrome who wants to become a boxer and he joins a boxing gym in order to kind of the impact uh, of that that happens in his life in a violent incident that kind of uh, creates a lot of drama and a lot of um, uh, kind of like introspection for that character. It's really interesting because um, of late, we're seeing a lot of people with Down syndrome in movies. Um, Peanut Butter Falcon, one of them as well. They'll be coming out, I think, in January in Australia. I think it's January, yes. Yeah, and that's uh, Shia LaBeouf as well, and Dakota Johnson as well. So it's great to see that type of representation on screen. And finally, a movie that I'll also see is a documentary called No Safe Spaces. And I think it's a really important documentary. It um, has Adam Carolla um, and Dennis Prager um, both... Um, in hosting uh, duties and it's just an exploration into identity politics in America especially in regards to universities um, and all the kind of like the suppression of free speech that that's happening there it's very alarming kind of stuff to watch and um, it, was, it was really kind of uh, coincidental I think that I watched that uh, and then learned of uh, a bit of a protest against the uh, uh, announcement that Ricky Gervais will once again host the Golden Globes. This is something that you and I spoke about in the last podcast. And um, I made direct reference about how with Kevin Hart being booted from the Oscars uh, uh, earlier this year, how it would be interesting to see just how today's um, uh, climate would take to Ricky Gervais uh, being the Golden Globes host again, because of course he's a comedian who takes no prisoners and his approach to everything. And sure enough, on IndieWire, there's a there's a article titled "Ricky Gervais and Trans um, Transphobia Have No Place at the Golden Globes," written by Libby Hill. And pretty much what the article is saying is that in this climate that we have right now, and the com- a comedy comedian like Ricky Gervais who pokes pokes fun at everybody, including people who are also um, from the trans community shouldn't be able to host the Oscars. Um, I shared this um, article with you, Shane. What were your thoughts of when you first saw this? Uh, well, all I was saying, I don't want to add too much to this because we did speak about it last time, Matt, but the colourful history of Ricky Gervais precedes him. I mean, he's not PC. We know that. And it's the first time he's hosted anything, I believe, since the Me Too movement has begun. Uh, and, you know, it, it may mean that celebrities of note could boycott the ceremony. I don't know. There, there's, there seems to be a lot of uh, disruption online about it, but whether uh, celebrities and certain actors or actresses do not turn up, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I think that he has got free reign. I think the Golden Globe, uh, the... The guys who run the Golden Globes, the foreign press, they kind of say, well, you know, they put a rein on him and tell him what he can and can't say. But I don't think that's the case. If that if that was the case, they wouldn't actually hire him to be their host. You know, they know what they're getting with Ricky and uh, that expect the unexpected is all I'll say. And I'm okay with it because I do like him when it comes to his... Co- comedic uh repertoire but you're right he's just not politically correct so that's what ruffles people's feathers and i i understand that because i I totally am against certain aspects of of comedy uh things that get pinpointed on certain demographics but that said it's ricky gervais and you know let it go 
he's joking. I mean, he's joking. I don't think he really means what he's saying a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean, Ricky Gervais is pretty much a person... You know, I, I, it's kind of like the reason why I like South Park was I called them um, equal opportunity offenders. Like, I mean, they go for everyone. You know, they make fun of everything, and I think that's the job of a comedian. They look at all type of demographics, all type of groups, all types of philosophies, and they poke fun at it because I think it's important that things get poked fun at sometimes. For example, I'm a Catholic, I'm a Christian, and Ricky Gervais in, in no way um, likes that group of people. He makes fun of them all the time. That doesn't mean I'm going to want to stop him to do anything that he does. I mean, let him do it. I just decide not to watch it. You know what, you know what I'm saying? I yep. mean, the, the power is in the person with the remote control or or, or the tablet or, or the phone or what have you. Um, if you don't want to watch it and you don't have to, that doesn't mean that he, as an entertainer, as a comedian, doesn't have to, has to comply to all these uh, outrages that happen everywhere. And it just seems like we're never oh, any type of host... Like, for example, I think one person who's been under fire lately as well is Ellen DeGeneres because she had the goal to say that George W. Bush was a friend of hers and then everyone started losing their crap about that as well. I mean, mean, seriously, people have got too much time on their hands. Billie Eilish recently said that she didn't know who Van Halen was. Yes. She's 17 and, I mean, come on. I mean, that is a big deal to some people. I just can't work it out. I mean, let's let's be frank here. I mean, I love Van Halen. They're one of my favourite bands. But well, they're uh, great. They're great. But if but, you're 17, no, you might yeah, not know who they are. They've released one album in the last 17 years. And, and, <laughs> exactly. And they did a tour, and it was all good and great. But, you know, Van Halen are notorious for being not wanting to be in the spotlight. So how is a person like Billie Eilish, who's grown, is going to grow up to understand what a ghost is, you know? I mean, there's, if you can't see it, you can't hear it, you don't know what it is, <laughs> then how are you going to know, you know, who it is? Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of bands when I grew up that I didn't know of. I got to know them later, you know? I didn't know who, like, for example, Aerosmith was to us, maybe like 15, 16, 17, because that's the time of your life when you find out, you, you dig deeper into the record collection and you find like the the older tracks, and you get you get into it. So you know, That's I, think, it. I think people like movies, yeah, like movies, exactly. How many? When was the first time you maybe seen a Scorsese, or or, or say or a William Freakin film or stuff like that? Like I, the first time I saw a Scorsese picture, I might, might have been I don't know 15, 16, 17 as well. I mean, it's just how it works, you know. It, I think people really need to get over just judging other people just the way they go about their business sometimes. And Ricky Gervais, his business is to be funny. The way that he's funny is he likes to make things awkward. And the way he makes things awkward at a a, um, ceremony like a Golden Globes is that he points to the Hollywood audience and he just lets them have it because (laughs) these are people that are surrounded by yes-men all the time and Ricky Gervais is just going to cut through that crap and just go straight for it. You know know what would be great, Matt, if if, uh, out of the blue he asked David Letterman to come on stage (laughs) and and they host together? Well, have you seen David Letterman lately? I don't think people even probably even recognise him. If that he is went probably on stage. right. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think it's just really silly this whole thing. I mean, Ricky Gervais he makes fun of everyone. If people from a certain segment don't like it, they don't have to watch it. And if they're going to make a big kerfuffle about it, I'm going to think that this year it's not going to be as big as a as a impact as it had with the Kevin Hart situation. Because I think after the whole Kevin Hart situation kind of stopped. A lot of people just saw how crazy yeah. the whole thing was. And it really was. I mean, 
the Oscars, the whole job of the Oscars, and we talked about this before, I know, but their whole job is to try to get people to watch the show. And usually that's done through an MC, and Kevin Hart's one of the biggest entertainers in the world. And Ricky Gervais is one of the biggest comedians in the world, and he's got a great presence online, and he's done the Golden Globes four times. People, like you said, they just have to let it go, and just, you know, if they don't want to watch it, you don't have to watch it. Um, well, you know, social media and news is instant now, yeah. right? So what the Oscars should do is say, okay, we've got no host this year. But all of a sudden, uh, when they have their ceremony, out comes Kevin Hart. Mm. You, you can imagine, within 60 seconds of him walking on stage, it'll be all over social media and everyone will tune in. They'll get the biggest, like, seriously people watching them for years. I reckon don't announce it. Have a secret host, like I said last year might happen and it didn't. Have a secret host and then social let social media do its work and you'll get everybody tuning in. Sounds like a good idea. Don't know if it will happen, but it'd be fun <laughs> if it did. Um, let's talk about something that is cancelled, at least temporarily, and that is The Banker. Now, this is a film that you brought up uh, when we were talking about supporting actor um, nominations. Or was it actress? I forgot which one, but you brought it up. Uh, Taylor one. Black. Thank Actress. you very much. Thank you very much. Um, so, yes, you brought it up. Uh, first time I heard of it, it was going to have uh, its premiere at the American Film Institute uh, Festival. Um, it was going to open, actually, the American Film Fest um, Institute Festival, and this is a big thing. Uh, it was also going to launch uh, the movie division for Apple TV as well. So, a huge film, um, starred Samuel Jackson Anthony Mackie, and then all of a sudden he got pulled from um, the um, uh, AFI Fest, and also from what I've read so far, um, pulled from release both on in limited cinema release and also on Apple TV as well. Um, so they Apple abruptly cancelled the premiere after the Hollywood Reporter and Deadline Reporter was because of concerns raised involving the real life subjects of the movie. Anonymous sources within Apple uh, said that a family member. Uh, that was played by Anthony Mackie in the movie, raised recently uncovered and potentially damaging charges. And this is in reference to uh, sexual assault um, allegations. Um, so of late, the cast um, of the, and the director of the film have come out and have defended the film and said, look, um, what's happening in the film and the people um, uh, that's represented in the film has nothing to do with them. It has to do with another family member. Um, um, but whether that's going to be enough to kind of like stem the tide of what's happening here, I'm not sure. What do you think of the whole situation, Shane? Uh, well, I can't, I can't add too much for what you just said. I mean, it, it's been denied, but seriously, names have disappeared from the credits, you know, pretty much immediately. The main character is instrumental in uh, uh, legislation, and, and human rights. So the subject matter of the film is almost crossing over to real life, and it's not good for not good for Apple TV. It's a it's a shame because, as I said to you previously, this this has potential. This look good. It has a great ensemble of actors, good story, and that theatrical release was going to happen. With all that now pretty much uh, evaporated it doesn't look like we're going to see it around award season, which is a real shame. But uh, that said, if, you know, until someone's proven guilty, I'm, I'm okay to, to let it go. But there are pretty huge accusations. So I can understand why Apple TV pulled it. 
And it's really interesting because we saw at the last Oscars that there was a couple of films that had a lot of controversy surrounding it. Uh, Green Book, one of them. Bohemian Rhapsody, the other, where, you know, you couldn't even reference the director of the movie, Brian Singer, because of the accusations put towards him as well. Um, and so I think it's really interesting the way that Apple have handled it by just pulling it. Uh, from the screens. I, I think personally they could have just continued, uh, Apple could have just continued on um, and just showed the movie because I think maybe by pulling it you know, up as abruptly as they did they made the situation even bigger than it could have been. Um, so yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see whether this movie um, sees a lot of day at all during this award season because, you know, some of these movies, you know, they disappear just all of a sudden they just show up in on like your netflix uh, uh, um, account uh, without any fanfare or any type of promotion uh, around it whatsoever so um it's a shame if this that's going to happen with the banker because as you said it's a very important story and the cast is great and i like the filmmaker uh, george nolfi i think it is who did the adjustment bureau so yeah i mean i want to see it i want to see what's going on here um but uh yeah it's just one of those things shane um i think it i think you know these days just like the kind of controversy around Oscar hosts, I think uh, people involved with movies um, and allegations put towards them, and I think it, it, this is this might be a, a more of a common occurrence. Uh, gone are the days of the great Hollywood fixer who would like put this stuff under the carpet, <laughs> and you know, not not these days anymore. Not with all no, the, uh, everything going no. on. And as we spoke a little bit off air, uh, you know, James Franco got the Golden Globe, yep. for, uh, and and unfortunately he um, didn't even get nominated for an Oscar, and that was in between was the accusations towards him. So things can change uh, progression of certain things that happen during Oscar season. Yeah, um, and finally um, we got a kind of rather big awards uh ceremony we got nominations for that's an indie film awards so um sorry indie spirits nomination awards excuse me um so this is a really kind of interesting uh variety of nominations here i mean uncut gems um by the safety brothers um starring adam sandler got five nominations the lighthouse by robert eggers uh which we were speaking off here as well has finally has a theatrical uh, release in Australia of February 6th. I mean, you know, by the time it comes out, everyone <laughs> in Australia is going to have this thing downloaded or ordered from Amazon, but uh, let's just move on. Don't um, say the D word, no. downloaded. Uh, I, I'm almost retired. I can say whatever I want these days. So I'll be <laughs> there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's really kind of interesting cross-section here because, um, for example, um, Marriage Story um, is in the best feature uh, category. However, no nomination for Noah Baumbach for director. Um, neither Scarlett Johansson or Adam Driver in the in the acting categories. Um, but they are going to receive the uh, Robert Altman Award. Um, so it's it's kind of like an odd kind of mix here of, of different nominees. I, I think that goes. To, does that go hand in hand with your Indie, Indie Spirit Awards that you know of, Shane? Yeah, yeah. They're a bit of a mix because the Indie Spirit Awards have their own agenda. Uh, you've got like Marriage Story for the Robert Altman Ensemble Award, but no Ad Adam Driver or Scully Hansen, as you say. And the Gotham Awards have just happened, and they've both just won mm. Best Actor and Best Actress, uh, alternatively. So with this Indie Spirits, I really like it because they do often highlight movies that we either haven't heard of much or they progress movies into the race. Uh, I think that 
Mm. The Lighthouse and Uncut Gems, both movies I have not seen, Matt, have got plenty of nominations. Yeah. And I think they're going to be the big winners. you got Screenplay, Marriage Story and High Flying Bird. Yeah. They're, the, they're the two that um, I have seen and love both. Uh, so I, I can't comment. Midsummer. There's no Midsummer. Yeah, yeah. Midsummer is a, 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 a brilliant film, awkward but brilliant. And is it is it classified as an indie film? I'm not so sure. I mean, who knows? Uh, I, I like the Indie Spirit Awards, but it is all a monopoly. Uncut Gems is a really interesting one because usually with that lead actor race, there's that five slot that is open to say an independent film or an art house film or a foreign yep. film to get in there. And, and there's been a lot of love uh, lately for Adam Sandler um, in regards to the performance in this movie. And look, it, it's kind of like an odd thing. Sometimes there are actors, like the, I look at it like the Keanu Reeves effect that's happening right now. Um, for such a long time, he was derived as, a, as, a, as an actor. A lot of people... Uh, you know, teased his uh, limited abilities on the screen. Um, talked about, you know, these British ac- British accent in Dracula, for example. But all you need is just one or two films, in, in, in Keanu Reeves' case, the John Wick movies, and people love you again. And, um, and it, <laughs> it, it. it does feel like that Adam Sandler is getting that kind of um, tide behind him. I mean, for such a long time, I mean, people just mocked his, his movies. Um, and he has a deal with Netflix, and a lot of his films appear on that. And a lot, so a lot of people could see his movies uh, and um, I don't remember the last time he got a good review for anything but Uncut Gems I mean I've only seen the trailer I mean he, I've no idea I don't think he's even been a release date here for Australia yeah, no, unfortunately no, no at, the, at the time of recording there's no uh, release date for Uncut Gems yeah. it has been a darling of the festivals around the world it has been nominated for all these uh, indie, indie awards and Gotham awards uh, I, I do believe that Adam Sandler is a good actor but I'm like you he he doesn't appeal to me because we grew up in a generation where we were just used to his comedies, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Horrible comedies. And The Wedding Singer was was the best one yeah. <laughs> out of all of them. Yeah. So I do believe he'll be pretty good in this. I've seen Punch Drunk Love. Great film. Yeah. I know we can act. And uh, between that and The Lighthouse, all the nominations that both of them have received, I, I assume that it might get a little bit of... Uh, attention during the Golden Globe Oscar period. I think so too. Um, but yeah, it's, like I was saying, it's a very kind of odd mix of um, nominees here. The fact that Adam Driver uh, didn't even get a male lead, and a lot of people are saying that he's a front runner for the actor category at the Oscars, uh, is just just odd to me. Um, but that's the Indie Spirit Awards for you. Um, so there are the nominees. The um, awards itself will be in February 8th um, to 2020. So I'm sure we're going to be we're going to cover that when that time comes. Um, but for now, let's move on to predictions. So today we're going to focus on the lead actress category. And I think that of all the categories, actor categories anyway, that this one uh, is perhaps the most competitive and has the most range of performances as well. So I'm really excited to talk about this category. So Shane, how about you go first and you talk about uh, your first, first pick for the best lead actress category? All right, this is hard. Uh... I'm going to go with the obvious to begin with, and that's Renee Selwager as Judy yep. Garland yep. because it's it's pretty well assuring that she's going to get nominated. I'm not going to say she's going to win because 
I said that last year about Glenn Close in The Wife, and it was all systems go until the actual night, and yeah. she lost. Yeah. So, um, yeah, all I can say is pr- what I what previously said is that Renee is might not look like her and sound like her exactly, but she does her own singing, and she is amazing in the role. Yeah, I mean, she's a previous Oscar winner for Cold Mountain, nominated for Bridget Jones' Diary of Chicago, um, portraying a Hollywood legend, and I think that goes a long way when you... Um, I mean, she doesn't look like Judy Garland, but she definitely does uh, inhabit the spirit of, of, of who she was, especially in that time of her life when she's down and out and homeless and all these different addictions and she goes... It's such a dark film and they show the the, the real sort of um, downside of things. And I know when um, audiences were watching it, especially senior audiences, uh, they weren't expecting that. But, yeah, it's a different side to Judy Garland, which I think opened people's eyes. Yeah, um, I think so as well. And like you said, she does her own singing, which I think is just so impressive because... I mean, when you look at some films like, say, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody and what Rami Malek did in that movie, such great work, but of course he was lip-syncing to a lot of, like, Freddie Mercury and another uh, vocalist as well. So for Renee Zellweger to do it herself, I mean, she's been out of limelight for so long. I mean, to see her come back in such a great way was rather is, is rather impressive. So and I think for sure um, not only is she a lock, but she could quite be... Uh, the faraway favourite uh, to win. Um, so we're going to definitely see. Who knows? Maybe the, you know, like you said, the whole Glenn Close thing, not only were you certain, a lot of people were certain that it was her time, her time had come, she was going to win it, and then the night came, didn't happen. Um, no. Possibly the same thing can happen with Judy. Judy came out quite early, I think it was like early October, late September, so that can happen as well. Um, and in my opinion, the person who could uh, surpass her um, in regards to the lead actor's uh, win is uh, Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story. She's so good. And um, she never been Oscar nominated before. This will be her first nomination if she does get it. Uh, she does have four Golden Globe, Golden Globe nominations. She's a BAFTA winner. She's actually a Tony winner as well, which I did not know what I only found out today. Um, and it... You know, the role of uh, Marriage Story, she plays the role of Nicole. Um, she's, uh, I haven't seen a movie, I know you have, so maybe you can explain the plot a little more uh, to us, Shane. Well, the plot, in a nutshell, is two people that who are uh, meant to be together, Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson, and they have one uh, little child, one one um, person who is means the, like the world to both of them. The movie shows them at the start being totally as inseparable but then as it moves on things happen and it shouldn't be called marriage story it should be called divorce story because that's what it leads to and and i think i have mentioned laura dern and rally otter in the part in the past podcast that, that they're in it too as divorce lawyers it is just a movie that scarlett johansson is to me and adam driver like it was it was almost a a perfect film for me. I've been re- reviewing it on radio when it came out theatrically, and I was giving it 4.5 out of 5. It, it is amazing. So there's a, there's a little bit more to it, but uh, it, it, Noah Baumbach is a, 
actor, I mean, the director who was married to an actor, um, Jennifer Jason Lee. So I do believe that he's used some of that real life uh, story in his movie. And um, whether it's true or not, I don't know, but it seems like there could be a bit of reality to this fictional story. And um, it's the Netflix movie, so it's actually due for release this Friday. So it'll be dropping on Netflix this Friday, which is great because I can finally watch it. And for Scarlett Johansson, I mean, what a great year she's had of 2019 marriage story avengers endgame jojo rabbit i mean just so many one thing after another um she could possibly end the uh, year in the award season with uh, not only a win for marriage story but also cool. being a part of the most uh, of the biggest film of all time as well in avengers endgame and, and so. remember and uh, remember she's a child actor yes so exactly. she's one of the successful child actors that have come through yeah i mean i I remember the first time I saw her was in Ghost Story uh, so long ago. So, yeah, I mean... Ghost World. Ghost World. Very, thank you very much, yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Great yeah, film. Yes, great film. Steve Buscemi was awesome in that too. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I mean, well deserved that she does win it, but I think she has a, a, a big hill to climb to to step over uh, um, Renee Zellweger's role in that. But like I said, anything can change. It's a very, very long award season. Um, what's next on your list, Shane? Uh, this one's a little bit left field. It's Honor Swinton Byrne uh, from a movie called The Souvenir, who is she's Tilda Swinton's daughter. Mm-hmm. It's a movie I saw at the Sydney Film Festival and has been released uh, outside of Australia, so it does qualify. It is an amazing movie. She is so huge in this film that um, she changes characters almost in it. And I, and I just think that if they're going to nominate someone who uh, might not be uh, expected, this could be an option. I remember we talked about this on our first episode when we were talking about um, films released so that we've seen so far in the year that could potentially get that Oscar uh, nomination. Um, and we also talked about that if Oscar isn't uh, a possibility, perhaps BAFTAs um, would be. Is that something you still think as well? I think BAFTAs, yeah, of course, because that's that's a wheelhouse, uh, and I know that they're going to notice this probably more than what an American slash uh, Academy uh, audience may. But uh, it, it, it is a film. It's it really is a uh, what you'd call a festival film rather than a commercial film. Mm-hmm. But I wanted, since I've got this opportunity, I really wanted to point out that her acting performance is worthy of award recognition and like i said usually in these kind of categories there's always that one slot for that art art house film that indie film uh to kind of creep in there the film that the critics praise you know they send those screeners out maybe these academy members haven't seen it yet you know a lot of them are actors and producers and directors they're busy with their own stuff they come across that film and bang you know all of a sudden you have a nomination that's come out that, that's very true man and if it's not this it's florence Pugh from a midsummer because yes. they're both equal and astonishing yes very much so uh talk about astonishing let me move on to my next one that's charlie's on and I'm talking about Bombshell which she plays Megan Kelly um, so she is of course an Oscar winner for Monster 
Um, only nominated once since that time for North County in 2005, but no nomination since then. Um, Charlize has kind of transitioned more to like more of an action kind of um, hero with Mad Max and the Fast and the Furious movies. Atomic well. Blonde. Atomic Blonde as well, it's correct. Um, I love I, that movie. I think um, Tully was like, had some type of push behind it, but to, couldn't really get to uh, Oscar contention. Um, but I think Bombshell is definitely going to be a film that's going to get her there. Um, the film directed by Jay Roach um, talks um, really touches uh, or talks about the allegations of sexual misconduct by former Fox News CEO Roger Ailes, and his story has already been told uh, and portrayed by Russell Crowe in the loudest voice. But in this case, it's going to be played by John Lithgow. But it, this is more about the victims of his um, of his um, sexual abuses um, in inside Fox News headquarters. And um, it's, the film's got a great cast. You have Nicole Kim and Charlize Theron. I mentioned John Lithgow, Margot Robbie, uh, Kate McKinnon as well. But I think the person who's going to go away with a nomination here is going to be Charlize Theron. I mean, she's portraying in Megyn Kelly, um, one of the most famous female newcasters of all time. Yeah. Um, with her time in Fox News and a brief time in um, NBC as well. Um, and, and I'm talking about like particularly when... Um, Megyn Kelly went up against uh, Donald Trump uh, during his candidacy candidacy uh, for the uh, president uh, in the presidential race of 2016. I mean, uh, she was just everywhere, um, just in the way that they kind of went at each other. Um, and she and Megyn Kelly is also known to be a very kind of attractive uh, kind of uh, looking person as well. And I, I guess. Uh, the title bombshell from the movie not only has to do with the bombshell in regards to the impact of the news of the whole Roger Ailes misconduct in sexual abuse allegations but also you know bombshell when you think of a bombshell it's like the, the blonde you know good looking kind of like a, a, a actress or what have you as well and uh, Charlize Theron definitely fits that mold she's a great actress um, and you know I think there's a, a real possibility she can get a nomination for this movie um uh, there isn't official re reviews that I've seen yet, but the word on the street is that it's actually a rather good movie, um, and that the performances in it are fantastic as well. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if Charlize Theron does get a nomination. Have you heard much about the film yourself, Shane? Uh, well, again, uh, I keep saying this, but at the time of recording this, I have not seen it, uh, but I have been invited to a screening yep. coming up. So I am very much looking forward to it. I have seen the series The Loudest Voice, the loudest voice that you were mentioning um, with Russell Crowe. Naomi Watts was in it. Uh, I do think that Charlize Theron is an amazing actress. She is this, uh, she's versatile, and I think she's a little underrated. I know she's won an Oscar, but she has been some really good stuff. And uh, I like her. And we haven't mentioned Liv Hewson, Bono's daughter, is in this movie. Okay. Kate McKinnon. Uh, Trisha Helfner, who it was Battlestar Galactica. Like, Mark Duplass is in uh, this. Alison Jenny is another person. That's yes, exactly. Uh, it is a it's going to be a big movie. I don't how huge the uh, like release is going to be. I think it might be one of those ones that will have an impact when people see it and they'll tell their friends, you know, word of mouth. But um, I'm really happy that you've said that she's on your list, Charlie's Theron, as a, a potential because I like her, always have. Uh, Two Days in the Valley in the early 90s is probably when I first saw her and I've liked her ever since. Yeah, I remember seeing that film too as well. Um, what's next on your list, Shane? Lapita Nyong'o, Us. Mm, now, I know it was released 
early in the year and traditionally we've said this before traditionally uh, movies that are released you know before about uh, june do not get a look in when it comes to oscars it's pretty rare but she's so good in this she yeah. plays a dual role i don't want to give it away just in case people haven't seen it but she plays two roles and it is it's a horror movie so that's going against it as well because horror movies really don't get uh nominated very often and she is just incredible and considering the story arc that is in it i highly think that she should be nominated not only does she play a dual role in that movie but the performance is so unique it's like nothing we've seen before and jordan peele who of course um um broke through big time as a director with um, Get Out, and he won yep. an Oscar for that, and that film really got pushed really hard um, in regards to its Oscar campaigning. He had a lot to live up to in regards to us, and while I liked us, and I didn't really feel it hit the kind of like the, the, the quality of filmmaking that Get Out had, I thought the performances, especially by Lupita Nyong'o, was fantastic. And I mentioned before that film Little Monsters that she was in, she was fantastic in that as well. Yeah. I mean, she just has an ability to really take over movies, not in a really kind of grand Andy Yost kind of uh, kind of like you know over the top kind of way, but just in her ability to just even the small things in in us is is a is a, the performance in us like in one of the you know roles that she's playing is a is a is one filled with like with little ticks and little subtle movements and where even a glance like holds is like really frightening as well. So that kind of that kind of turn, I was like, I think it would be awesome to see her um, receive a nomination for it. But like you said, it's a film that came out really early, so. I mean, whatever campaigning they're going to put behind it, maybe they're going to do a re-release. You know, maybe um, you know Jordan Peele will do a tour with the film. I know with Rocket Man, for example, um, they're doing a lot of that where um, Taron Egerton and Dexter Fletcher are going out there, and yeah. Elton John has a new bi- uh, a new uh, book out as well. So there's tie in there as well. So it's keeping the name of the in the spirit of the movie alive. So yeah, it's going to be. I mean, if, if Universal are going to start, you know, getting Lupita Nyong'o out there for for us, um, you know, they better start doing it soon because, um, you know, like you said, those early films they need a little more work behind them compared to the other films. Exactly. I remember the Grand Budapest Hotel back in, a few years ago it was nominated, but and and that was released in like March or April or something, and it was such a great film, and that got recognised. But it's very rare for a movie that's been released before you know, June-ish, maybe July, that it starts getting recognition towards the end of the year. And I think Us and Lupita is uh, not a sure thing, but seriously, people revisit the film and, and Academy voters check it out. They're going to give her the nom. I definitely want to watch that film again because I only saw it the one time at the cinema. And for those who have seen it, I mean, it's a very kind of... Uh, uh, it's a compelling film, but it's a very strange movie as well. So it's a, it's definitely a movie that needs to have another watch. And, and who knows, maybe when those screeners go out and the Academy members watch it, they might be reminded about what they saw uh, several months back. Um, I'm going to move on to my next pick, and that's Saoirse Ronan for Little Women, playing the role of Jo March. Um, Saoirse is a three-time nominee, so she got the nominees for uh, Atonement, 
for Brooklyn, which I really hope she will win for because I loved her that performance, and Lady Bird as well. And here she um, reunites with her Lady Bird um, writer and director in Greta Gerwig. Um, so Little Women is one of those movies, one of those books, sorry, by Louisa May Alcott. That, you um, can call it a movie because uh, there's been about several versions. I know. I think there's been more than that because I'm pretty sure that it's in the public domain, which is why so many people have done versions of it. It's kind of like Robin Hood. It seems like every year there's a Robin Hood movie as well. Um, it's one of those kind of things. Um, but by Please, all accounts, no more Robin Hoods. Yeah, Taron, Edge, uh, Taron Edgenham was okay, but seriously, we don't need any more. Trust me. I think there's like several in the pipeline but it's more kind of like B-grade kind of versions oh, no. and everything else um, but um, Greta Gerwig's version of of this novel um, by all accounts is one of the most one of the best reviewed and um, um, she brings a really kind of strong feminist slant to it um, in regards to some of the evolution of the characters which differs from the books now whether that has anything to do with the Joe March character I'm not sure but Saoirse Ronan has got really good um, early notices um, in regards to her portrayal in the movie um, she's one of the best um, actors working today I think I mean I absolutely like, she's one of those actors that um, if I know she's going to be in the film I'd watch it um, really? I, absolutely. I'm a big fan of her work. I loved her in Hannah. I loved her in um, uh, Lovely Bones. The only film I didn't like that I saw her in was Queen of Scots. I had a big problem with that film. I thought it was a really ridiculous movie to do the truth. Um, but that's not to say that her performances wasn't good. It was quite good, but the movie itself wasn't really for me. Um, but yeah, she's one of those actors that like, I want to watch. Uh, I want to watch what she does on the screen. Um, she's, I think, I don't think, even think she's hit the age of 25 or 26 yet. I mean, she's got such more potential ahead of her as well. Um, so I can't wait to watch this movie. I'm going to, I'm attending the screening next week. Um, and I really want to see what it's all about. And um, you talked about Florence Pugh as well from um, uh, Midsummer. She's also in this adaptation as well. So, yeah, I can't wait to see it and see what Saoirse Ronan does. Why don't we just cancel out everyone from Little Women? Because you're not going to get them nominated. They're all going to be so good in it, and I reckon they'll all cancel each other out. That is interesting. I think, you know, in regards to the whole kind of category thing, for sure they're going to put Sorcerer ahead um, in front of everyone else. Whether they're going to get anyone in the supporting category, I don't know. Um, it's kind of like that whole thing with um, The Favourite um, from last year, where they had three really great actors in it. All of them were actually leads, um, but they still managed to get Olivia Coleman uh, to get um, the very uh, true, yeah. lead. And Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz both got um, the nominees for Best Supporting. So there is there is precedent there uh, in regards to multi uh, multiple performances, especially in uh, female-driven uh, movies. So it can happen. Uh, whether it will happen again this year, I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm saying that Saoirse Ronan, I think, has enough behind her and she has done previous um, nominees, nominations behind her as well to perhaps get in there. Um, and also, it is all in regards to the whole Little Women thing. I think that's the type of movie that can really add some kind of diversity to the whole mix of things. Where I think maybe, so. I mean, remember when Greta Gerwig didn't get nominated for um, uh, uh, Lady, Bird, Lady Bird? A lot of people got upset about that. Um, in regards to the whole uh, dominance of uh, uh, men in uh, directing gigs and directing um, uh, uh, categories uh, at award ceremonies. So there's that behind it as well. So I think it's going to be a big push behind that movie, and I think Saoirse Ronan is going to be the bene a beneficiary of that. 
If funnily enough, I have um, been asked to do my top ten movies of the decade, and Francis Hart is in that top ten, which nice. is a Greta Gerwig film, yes. and it's directed by Noah Baumbach. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. That was a <laughs> black and white feature, wasn't it? It was great, yes, yeah. yes. So that's in my top ten. And another thing I want to mention, seeing you're talking about her, I got to meet and interview Saoirse Ronan when she was in Australia for The Lovely Bones. So did I. And she was, yeah. she's only a kid, like, but she's yeah. so good. Yes. She's so good. That was a very um, memorable red carpet for me for two reasons. Number one, we're all trying to figure out how to pronounce Saoirse Ronan. Were you um, there too? I was well, there, there too. There um, We're trying to figure out how to pronounce her. I had to get to uh, Paramount. It was Paramount Pictures, I'm pretty sure, uh, did that. So I had to get the PR to kind of just uh, talk us through how to pronounce her name because we're all kind of confused. And the second thing I remember was Susan Sarandon's cleavage. I mean... <laughs> That's that's definitely one of those kind of like eyes up here, boy uh, moments. Um, well, I, <laughs> well, now that this is for our listeners, now that you mentioned Susan Sarandon's cleavage, I had a very good chat to her about Thelma and Louise. She signed my DVD cover for me, which was great. We had a little chat. Along came Sersha, and then all of a sudden, I said. I've been practicing your name all day, Saoirse Ronan, and she said, well, you've done a wonderful job. So I apparently got it right. Excellent. Who knows? I'm probably been butchering all this time. I'm not sure. So, you know, um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, let's just make sure that John Travolta doesn't announce the winners for the best lead actress category this year. Um, oh, don't start, because you might have mentioned uh, Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway. So. Yes. <laughs> the, the potential for disaster always looms large at these things. Um, who's next on your list, Shane? Uh, well, one more, and then I've got a couple of honor- honourable mentions I hope you let me talk about. But um, of I, I, I talked about uh, Kristen Stewart in Seaberg. Mm-hmm. Now, she's pretty amazing in it. And, and it's, a, it's a time in the life of actress Jean Seaberg who was on one side really going towards good causes and helping um, the United Nations. And on the other side of it, she was sleeping with one of the Black Panther members Mm -hmm. and um it is a very good movie and i've got to say that kristen stewart i've always said that it is a pretty good actress and i know she's in uh charlie's angels at the moment and she's probably the best thing about charlie's angels actually Her, her comic timing is very good in a in a you know mediocre film but i wanted to mention that it's a long shot but she's terrific as Gene Seberg in Seberg, and Kristen Stewart is um, worthy of you know a little bit of recognition, I reckon. Is any other uh, um, um, uh, um, potential uh, maybe nominees you can think of as well? It's another one of those Amazon. Well, it's, it's a streaming movie that's getting a theatrical release. So as we've become accustomed to, pretty much only this year that these streaming companies are releasing movies for one to two weeks to qualify for a awards, you know, qualification, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I like it. I think she's good. It's got a pretty solid cast in it all round, but she is the standout and, you know, I, I back her. I mean, the, the, the crap that she got for a long time because of Twilight movies which were hits anyway, but then she'd spread out into other roles and, you know, of course, they weren't overly great. Then she had that incident with the uh, Snow White and the Huntsman director, uh, which was, you know, a little bit of infidelity there towards his side of things. And, uh, you know, things happened in her career, but I think she's really coming out the other side in a big way. 
I just want to mention uh, two more names as well. Um, so before I mentioned before the furor towards the Oscars last year when Greta Gerwig didn't get nominated and it was a whole thing about, you know, the male dominance. The other big hashtag that has come from the last few years as well is a whole Oscars so white hashtag. And I think these two nominees could reflect that and maybe um, from the back of their strong performances I'm not saying in any way that these are gimmies but I think it has the narrative is there for these two uh, nominees to get in there so the first one is a movie that I know you like um, The Farewell um, Aquafina who plays yes. the role of Billy in that movie she plays the role of a writer who visits her ill grandmother in China she just won a Gotham Award there we go and I think she's one of those um, um, actors really is a rising star she started her career as a rapper at first and then moved into movies um, she was in Ocean's 8 she was in um, Crazy Rich Asians and now The Farewell she's got really good notices in it and I think they're really making a push for her but you want, you want to know something really interesting I've been reading a few articles um in regards to um, her and um, her performance. And they've actually been uh, talk, um, referencing her to her real name, which I think is Nora Lum. Um, really? Not, not Aquafina. Because she's, she's credited as Aquafina in... Um, in the in the movie, in but she, every movie, in she's every movie, in. that's right, because that's her stage name, right? That's her stage personality. Yeah. But Nora Lum is her real name, and they've been re re referring to her in that regard. So I'm interested to see whether that's part of the whole campaign to try to get her pushed forward. Whether the whole Aquafina thing was going against her, whether people weren't taking her seriously in regards to that stage name, and whether the whole Nora Lum thing is going to be something that's you know that she's going to use to kind of like you know get some some type of you know imaginary credibility points in regards to that um the other thing I, I, no, name i wanted to bring up which is a movie that i'm not sure will, will come out here but it's something that's made some waves in the states um, it's a film called the harriet which is about uh, the biopic of harriet tubman who was a, a politicianist and pol political activist back in the um, mid yeah i put this on my list too so there we go cynthia arrivo um who is really big on broadway um broke through kind of, um uh, last year in the movies with um uh, Widows and uh, what's the other film she was in with uh, Chris Hemsworth um, set in Las Vegas oh, I'm drawing a blank now but anyway she's been in a couple of films now she's got some really good notices and in regards to her performance as Harriet Tubman she's got some really good um, uh, reviews um, in that film too so that could also be a possibility as well in regards to a nomination yeah she's on, it's on my list as well uh, Cynthia Erivo as Harriet is apparently amazing. Um, can't tell because I haven't seen it, yep. so I'm not sure, but uh, I really like her as an actress. And Taylor Black was the other one I was going to mention, but we've spoken enough about The Banker. Um, who knows what's going to happen there, but I did want to throw her name into the mix as an honourable mention. That name I was drawing a blank on, by the way, it was Bad Times at the Ill Royale. She was in well, that was in my top ten for last year. That was such an underrated movie, and she was great in it and uh interestingly she's going to play aretha franklin in an upcoming tv biopic as well so that sounds pretty interesting so yeah her career's on the up and up in regards to movie and tv roles and um, i think harriet could be a possibility of being an awards favorite if not the oscars maybe sag maybe golden globes um when it's going to come out here i don't know because the the, the subject matter plays more to American audience than more to Australian audience, of course, considering who she is and the whole kind of like and everything behind it. Um, but yeah, I think we covered a, a great deal of uh, 
of names there. I think it's going to be a very competitive uh, category. Um, I, I myself think there's three locks so far, and that's um, Ray Zellweger, Scarlett Johansson, and Charlize Theron. They're my three locks. Um, but uh, there could be possibility maybe Charlize drops out, depending on how Bombshell plays um, when it comes out. Because, uh, like I said, we haven't seen it yet, and a lot of people haven't yet. So um, that's going to be very interesting to see. And another thing, Margot Robbie is in Bombshell. Yep. Now, she's also in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So yep. she's got two chances. She's got two chances for a, uh, at least for a, a supporting actress yep. role. Definitely. And, and a movie we haven't mentioned, and it's a long shot, but it's a definite uh, Golden Globe possibility, is Booksmart. Yes. Because Caitlin Deaver in that is awesome. You know, like, that is a real Golden Globe nomination type of movie. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about Oscars, but, yeah, I just th thought I'd mention that as well. And um, if it doesn't get in, a lot of people are going to look at a movie like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and say, how the hell did that get in the comedy category, but Booksmart didn't? So. Oh, look, I know we, we can't get into it now, but the, the whole um, things that they look at to put a movie into either drama or musical and comedy when it comes to uh, Golden Globes is up in the air. Yeah. It still is. I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is going into the comedy category. So it, it, I, I'm just not so sure that that is correct. But as you mentioned to me off air, The Martian won in comedy. You, you want to hear something that will blow your mind? You ready for it? Uh-oh. Can you imagine if Judy is placed in a musical comedy? See, that is, so that is so dark and depressing. Yeah, but because it's a musical, right? So in a sort That's of way. True. So there's a possibility. You know <laughs> there is. And you know Ricky Gervais is going to take aim at that thing, you know. So... You know, it's probably a joke like, yes, uh, watching a, a person lose her mind on stage while, while drinking diet pills and, uh, and being homeless uh, no. is the funniest film of the year. You know, people... I, say, I say bring it on, but yeah. the uh, PC brigade won't like that at all. No, they won't, but you know to hell with them. Um, so, Shane, let's talk about where people can find you online. Uh, online, um, Instagram or Twitter only, no Facebook. Uh, you can find me at, uh, at movie underscore analyst. So at movie underscore analyst, uh, red carpet interviews and, and you know, reviews and, and just any comments about movies, you can find me there. And for everyone listening, you can find Matt's movie reviews on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and YouTube. You can listen to Matt's movie review po podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify. And now you can also listen to the podcast on Podbean and Stitcher as well as YouTube. So we're all over the place. You can't miss out an episode. This episode will be up tomorrow. And Dan, Shane, I'm glad to say that soon you and I will be together again uh, to talk about best actor predictions and also the AACTA awards, which you'll be attending tomorrow night. Yes, yes, I'll be uh, reporting live from the red carpet at the actor awards at the Star Casino. So looking forward to that. Although, you know, I don't know. It, it's, a, it's a funny kind of a year when it comes to Australian movies, but I think The Nightingale and The King and Ride Like a Girl might win. We're going to definitely talk about that when it comes to Friday night. Until then, Shane, take care. Thanks, Matt. Bye for now, mate.